Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. I think what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff. VP of Marketing at Ironsword. Welcome, 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 everybody. Uh, This week in games, episode 161. As you can hear, I'm back, so you don't have to listen to uh, to Eric's and then Adam. (laughs) You can actually talk shit to my face now. No problem. So it's going to be much better. And there's somebody to press buttons for for, uh, for Did you listen to last Uh, week's podcast? uh, Like, I was just like, yeah. I listened to the last week. It was slow. It was slow. It it picked up. The end of it was, was great when you guys were talking about dream games. Uh, but, uh, but you know, it was kind of slow, slow in the beginning, but that was a good conversation. It's, it's okay. Well, Eric's intro okay. was up what, to I don't, you know, what was other than that? We got off to I a don't slow remember start. What the intro. I don't remember. <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. Just they, <laughs> moving They on. can't all be bangers. <laughs> there, there was none. Um, we got. <laughs> Some of them are hangers. Anyway, uh, today we got. Four articles. I don't know if we'll have time to go through all fours. So we're going to talk naturally about Ubisoft's blockchain-powered NFT cosmetics system. What would be more interesting? Uh, then we're going to talk about blockchain being the only game changers game changer if players are stakeholder. An article by VentureBeat. Uh, we're going to talk about Apple's legal filing indicating that it, the company intends to collect commission regardless whether the, the developer uses in-app purchases on a, or, a, or a competing payments platform. And finally, if we have time, we're going to talk about how to be a great company CEO. Anyways, um, it was fun. So uh, I'm just going <laughs> to do the little intro. So in this in Slush, so Eric, you you represent Slush correctly. It's a, it's one hell of a hell of a party up here in the north. It was one of the coldest slushes, if not the coldest I've ever been to, because it was like minus 12 or something. Yeah, shout out to people. They still went to swim in the sea when, when we went to the sauna. So uh, there was a lot of peer pressure and and uh, and that definitely got people swimming. Uh, so many so many people came to me talking about Eric Kress. It was insane. <laughs> like we're talking about public company CEOs. <laughs> like that Kress, man. <laughs> and yes, of course, it, it ends up with like you got a good thing going on with the Suford and the Adam and like that. But it always starts with like that Cress. <laughs> so Eric Cress, you're officially the people champion. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. Just, just let's wait till uh, the end of this podcast oh, and you can tell uh-oh, me. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put my I'm gonna put my helmet on. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but it's uh but it's actually it's it's funny thing because we haven't gone out anywhere like there's no GDCs, no no boondoggles where you're face to face. But I bet when you guys are at GDC, you know, people will be coming and like pointing those things out. It's it's weird because we sometimes forget that, that people actually listen to this. Yeah. Um, forget about that. Not, lot, not like that. <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> no, they, I thought I was just... Based on the stuff we're... 
yeah, that we're talking here. It's like it would feel like like we don't know that people are listening because like <laughs> the stuff that Eric Kress is saying about Activision, like that was one of the uh, one of the high points. Like man, be, like that guy you, dunks. So you're talking about GDC, and and I've I've had this on the back burner for a while, and I plan to do it at some point. I'm going to start a petition to move uh-huh. GDC out of San Francisco. It needs to go anywhere. Be- hey. Vegas? No, Austin. To Vegas. Hey. Vegas. To Vegas. Austin, New York City. Vegas. Miami. It could go anywhere. Barcelona. Why? Why is it in? Oh shit! Well, first of all, why is Miami it in the US? such a great? There aren't call. that many game developers in the U.S., right? It it should be in it should yeah, be in Europe, in San Francisco. But anyway, it should not be in San Francisco. There, what, there's there's like there's like I two agree. game developers in San Francisco. I agree. Right? It, 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 if it's anywhere in the U.S., it, it should be in L.A., right? Or, or, or you know, it, it just it doesn't make any sense to have it in San Francisco. It makes no sense. It's expensive. It's dangerous. It's hard to get to. It shouldn't be in San Francisco. Hey, hey, easy there, dude. This is San Francisco, I, man. No, look, I lived there for two years. Yeah, I, you know, I, I experienced it. I have, I've, I'm fully, I'm fully aware of the situation there. It should not be yeah. in San Francisco. It should be anywhere else. The reason why I'm not coming to GDC, well, I think I'm not coming, is because it's in San Francisco. Like that's that's the main thing. I lived there for four years. I'm like. If All it right. was in Vegas, I'd be like, okay. sorry, By the way, just take care of the kids. We need to go. <laughs> so my quick update is I bought a freaking e-bike, right? A mountain bike. And to defend California, San Francisco, the Bay Area, I went on a two and a half epic <laughs> ride in the Marin Headlands in the heart of winter when it's minus 12 in fucking Helsinki, dude. And I'm like, it's like absolutely beautiful, right? Like this place is amazing. So the reason that you sorry sots... <laughs> can't live here it's not a reason to, to, <laughs> no, no. to dismantle okay. it right? i agree no but Derek, I, I agree 100 right i mean i i lived in pacific heights i walked outside my door every day and i saw the golden gate bridge but that's not what you're seeing when you're at gdc and when you're at gdc you're seeing prostitutes beating up gdc no. attendees outside of the w hotel <laughs> that happened that happened two years ago or three years ago whenever it was a, a group of prostitutes beat up Dude, an attendee it gives you some it, give, it gives you no, it gives you some grit, man. You know, like he went this to the like hospital. real life, dude. We're not living in like fucking Toronto, right? We're nothing. He went to the hospital. Toronto. He went to the you hospital. Know? That's not. That's not. That's not like character Good. building. That's not a character building exercise. Yeah. That's just horrible. He went to the hospital. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I think you know. I know who you're talking about. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, that was that. All right, let's let's start off with the updates. But Eric, I'm I'm signing in. Vegas, let's baby. do Vegas. Vegas right, would be so great. Think about you're, all you're the not going to, to GDC. Oh my Stop God, talking so... about GDC. Eric and Eric, are you guys both going to GDC? I'm probably not. Of yeah, course, I'm not going. So I think it's just going to be Eric. Oh come Sorry, on, baby. I don't. The way this is, I won't go to uh, San Francisco. No way. Two days. <laughs> no. no, not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to go. So, so we'll do like a live okay. podcast. All right, not uh, GDC. to the updates. We'll do it from Austin. So, yeah. <laughs> look, yeah, as, think about yeah. live podcast in Austin <laughs> or or Let's Vegas. See. Oh my god, Vegas would be so much fun. It'd be so much fun. Like the the amount yeah. of after parties because Vegas doesn't sleep. Seven a.m. Two a.m. Well, Four a.m. Right, Six a.m. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name the club that is gonna happen at six a.m. We're gonna, gonna be there too. We need to live stream, <laughs> live stream, and in person. Uh, that uh, twig recorded in Vegas to like a, a, a conference room at GDC. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Our great sponsors, Iron Source, AppSlyer, all of them are already lined up. This is going to be a great one. So let's move it to GDC and um, and have one hell of a hell of a live twig. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, updates. So Tencent launches Level Infinite. It's a new game publishing division. Uh, the brand is said to be dedicated to delivering high-quality games to a global audience. It will operate from offices in Singapore and Amsterdam with staff located globally. Level Infinite is offering technical and production assistance as well as market research and assistance with esports integration. Uh, so this is kind of like the uh, the Tencent's new push in the West, clearly, based at least on the uh, on the locations. News just break in, so not not any more info was given about that one, but I know that their European HQ is in Amsterdam. Uh, other piece of news, uh, Mainframe Industries raised $22.9 million for cloud-native games, and Mainframe, mainframe Industries, uh, the, the founder, that, that round was probably led by A16Z, at least the previous one was led by A16Z, uh, 
Company located originally from two studios. So one was in Helsinki. The other one was Reykjavik, so uh, XCCP. Uh, they're building MMO, uh, cloud-native MMO, so both Cloud Engine as well as an MMO. And now they're opening a third studio in Paris. Yep. So um, shout out to Mainframe hot, Industries. A hot bit, Eric, a hot bit of think? game development, Paris, France. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> like, I, I bet the, the games will have will come in with a high taste. Oh, so, so um, <laughs> no, Paris is definitely a, a very interesting location to be chosen. Maybe they have some kind of a... Some kind of a pull there, or, or some key town that they that they hired. Yeah, it is expensive. It's expensive. Paris labor is expensive. Labor law, very very expensive city. Get it? Forget about it. Yes, you can't I, fire. Here's what happens on these situations. They will live with I'll you. I'll just state straight up. There's some executive they wanted to hire. He wanted to stay in Paris, and so they opened a fucking studio. Right? It's like it's not it's not a business mate decision. Like it's not, it doesn't make it. It's not strategic. It's just they wanted this yeah. guy. Maybe I don't even know. I'm just guessing. I actually, the one thing that I'm really curious about is whether or not cloud can actually do something super interesting with an MMO, right? So far, it seems uh -huh. like MMOs are kind of cloud yeah. games by definition almost. So whether or not th these technologies that they're building, I I'm actually curious, right? There's Improbable, right? Isn't that the other company that's like trying well, to they, do this they built they built the, um, They built the tech to build uh, <coughs> yeah. games, I think. Yeah, but it, it it's it's completely yeah. nascent. They've been funding for years and years and years, and they haven't done jack, right? And so, I just don't know if that's actually a, a it's a value prop for for an MMO. Like, how is that different doing it in the cloud versus doing it? You know, I just I, I'm just MMO thinking about someone whatever. listening to this from improbable, <laughs> having 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 your years of efforts described as <laughs> done jack. But where's the game? Right? They have their own internal oh game. God. They license it out to a few players. I met with a uh, business oh guy like God. three or four fucking years ago. <laughs> at E3, you know. I mean, let's. I mean, I'm I'm all about calling PSA, dude. Show me, I, show me the juice. Yeah. <laughs> all right, people champ, people champ is again. Show people me the juice. The building. All right. <laughs> speaking, <laughs> speaking of juice. Dude, I was so freaking triggered by this this goddamn podcast that you did with Mike Schmidt. Christ, okay? Like, okay, this guy is the former head of games, biz dev at Apple, right? He is like the man, like literally the man, the man, like the people that, that he is the gatekeeper of all things Apple, right? So... He's like the most biased person in the world, right? And, and and in his defense, he was a very very smart guy, very articulate. He did answer your questions, which is surprising. He didn't did do some political misfire, right, on on, on 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 the questions. He didn't try to evade. But holy crap, the fucking spin was unbearable, unfucking bearable. Can anyone have their head up Apple's sphincter more than this guy, right? Okay, look. <laughs> You know, sorry. At this point, like, I just don't understand how he cannot be more objective on what Apple was doing, right? He must use the word privacy like a half, two dozen times, right, around the, all these platform changes, right? That that totally screwed over his partners, right? His clients, right? He's the one that's interfacing with these guys, right? I don't know why he can't see what's really, really obvious, right? They use privacy as a marketing gimmick to differentiate their platform which resulted in kicking the teeth of every single partner and developer that's built up their platform, right? I mean, give me a break. Like, there's there's no benevolence around this, right? It, consumer privacy is one thing. They didn't have to go, it didn't have to go this way, right? So I will give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Like he's only been out of Apple for three months, right? He still has total Stockholm syndrome, right? He can't see anything beyond what the world of <laughs> Apple, right? But he needs to wake the fuck up, you know? You know, it really honestly did not need to go down like this. They could have been much more benevolent towards the developers, right? Um, but it's, it's not what they did either. It's how they did it. It's like, did they discuss these changes with publishers? Maybe a little bit, but it didn't matter because these guys, these decisions yeah. were made by the execs, right? And, 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 the, and, the, and the store guys were just basically the tail wagging the dog, you know? And, and, and they basically had to implement these policies to the detriment of their the publisher partners for the store right 
And look, I understand, right? He was in a position for four years where all these publishers had to sit there and listen to him and nod and, and, and listen to this bullshit spin and say, oh, you're right, you're right, right? Because they're desperately wanting scraps of like, of, of, of promotion of, of featuring and stuff, which absolutely has no impact anymore because the store is a fucking joke, you know? But to believe in the integrity of their overlord the way he does, you know, it, it, it didn't make sense. You know, I, I look, I get it. But meanwhile, after all this integrity building for like fixing, you know, privacy, Tim Cook is signing a $275 billion deal with China so they don't get to placate threats of regulatory action from China, you know? Look, wake the fuck up, dude. Apple is evil, right? And they're business, right? That, I mean, that's it, right? And I swear, if the more he leaves, I, after six months, after nine months, after 12 months, Mr. Schmidt is going to basically say, oh my God, what am I, the eyes are opening now. And like, he's going to wake up to the notion that like, no, these guys are not, working on the benefit of the ecosystem. They're working for their own benefit, right? Stop the spin, you know, like be objective in your analysis of this stuff. And now that you're out there and actually talking to people, stop it, right? You don't need to spin anymore. All right, I've, that's it. That's I've, all I got on this. A couple, couple of thoughts. I, I haven't listened to the podcast yet, but a couple of people pinged me and and, and told me about what, uh, you know, the comments that he made. I, I First of all, it's just not credible. I, I think... What I what I have been told that he said, and again, I, I need to listen to it, but I, it's just not credible, right? And like, even if you said, look, uh, this wasn't the intent. The intent wasn't to uh, benefit ourselves, to competitively position ourselves in a beneficial way, using privacy as a kind of camouflage for that. Well, that's what happened, right? So even if you said, look, no, look, we were the the the, the core purpose of this was to cr protect consumer privacy. Well, the end result was. Okay, you benefited your you privileged your own ad network in the process, right? Like you 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 know, and and you 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 handicapped a, a, a fierce competitor of yours. So like even if even if the the, the initial core intent was we just want to we just want to give users more privacy. Well, these these other sort of uh, impacts uh, materialized, and so okay, maybe 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 that was the core intent. I think the other thing I would say is like, look, this decision was made at the the highest levels of Apple. I mean. Head of Games BD is an important role, but it's not making those kind of consequential policy decisions, right? And my understanding is that the App Store team heard about ATT the same day that we all did at WWDC. There was no advance notice. So they all had to scramble to put together comms. So they weren't part of the decision-making process. So how would they really know? How would they really not. know what the motivations were? Yeah, of course so I not. guess those, those are the points I would make. And then the other thing is like, okay, well, if, if user privacy really was the sort of first and foremost motivation behind this... Why don't they stop fingerprinting, right? Why why do they allow all this user data to be stored on Chinese servers, right? So they care about it's just it's 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 very superficial, right? The, the privacy protections that are even being afforded are 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 basically just uh it it, it are just illusory, right? Like there are no privacy protections right now because fingerprinting isn't being stopped, right? There was an article today in the Financial Times about how basically Apple is has given up on trying to enforce ATT. Uh, around sort of like IP address usage for doing uh, device level attribution. So like all this stuff, it's just to build a narrative. It's just so they could publish that commercial with the guy running around the city and the people peering over his shoulder. Right. And like, and put billboards on fucking 101 right. that says, you know, privacy is, right. is king, right? I mean, and, but he actually did imply in his, in, in the, in, in, in the uh, podcast that they are actually going to do more and more measures on privacy so they're not done is what he was implying which was i thought was a little bit in, was, I, that, but was how, interesting. again how would you but know? yeah how i mean you know on the app store side those are not decisions that the app store team gets to make right no I, uh, that's true that's true it is the, again the tail wagging the dog right and and you know they had no decisions they just spent four years of spin right they just spent you know how many decks were written in terms of figuring out how to yeah. position this so they don't feel like this you know they're, the publishers are taking it up the, you know, <laughs> rectum, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's freaking nutty, dude. And I and and I listening to him talk about it for like an hour. I was just, I literally I almost <laughs> like crashed my car. I was like, <laughs> if he said the word privacy one more time, I swear to God, I was gonna <laughs> shoot myself, right, dude? Get come on, man. I, I want to meet this guy. I, he seems really cool, nice guy, but Jesus, dude. 
pull it, pull it out, man. Pull your head out of the rectum of Apple. I, so I, right. I've got it. Moving on. Well, he he, he did say that that the uh, App Store team is listening to this podcast. So so very nice, very nice <laughs> words from Eric's, Mr. Gross. I guess you're not. Opinion, if you guys are listening, fix your Eric, fucking store, okay? <laughs> fix the store, please. Yeah, yeah. All right, moving this, on. This, this is a crest people champ talking. So I, I would say that <laughs> thank you, App Store team, for that. rolling out uh, uh, customizable product pages and A/B testing that rolled out today, and that's uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, I want to have a quick update before we jump in. Uh, so Mobile Dev yep. Memo is host, uh, hosting an, a happy hour, a holiday happy hour in Austin on December 16th. Uh, all are invited. It's, uh, it's going to be held down in downtown Austin on December 16th. So any listeners here uh, based in Austin or who are going to be in Austin on December 16th, feel free to, uh, to register. You go to mobiledevmemo.com and there's a, a headline there. You can click on it and it'll take you to the Eventbrite page. I hot no, I'm not gonna Who's DJ. My DJ? wife uh told me that I suck at DJing and oh, wow. it won't be fun. It won't be fun if I DJ. So I, <laughs> I actually hired like a like a guitarist who's gonna just play a guitar in the background. He does like uh the he the, the drumming thing where he drums his thumb on the guitar and he can do all sorts of musical styles. So no DJing. Uh who knows? I don't know. Maybe I'll bring my gear just in case, but uh probably just a guitarist. <laughs> Fill up the backseat. Both technics. Yeah, please, yes, please no. Waka waka waka. And he, Eric has this like yeah. this little portable like Disco ball. machine that he also brings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, let's let's stop talking about. Yeah, the, yeah let's get into the, the real news. The, uh, the actual news. So let's get into the Adam, real news. Why don't you so, talk about Ubisoft? Yeah, yes, it's exactly. happening, right? Major publisher diving headfirst into blockchain-powered NFT systems. So Ubisoft Quartz was announced. Uh, it will offer limited time or limited edition cosmetic items for Ubisoft games that can be resold on third-party marketplaces for crypto. It will launch in beta on December 9th, um, so tomorrow by the time that we're recording this, and starting with items in Ghost Recon Breakpoint. So each digit, which is the asset that they're selling, um, is released as part of an addition that is composed, composed of an immutable number of items. Um, I'm not exactly sure what all this means, but I'm trying to read between the lines here. It seems like there's a combination of serial numbers and ownership history that makes each digit unique. So this is where it kind of like my excitement level went from like, oh, okay, wow, this is something really, really interesting to, oh, okay, so they're just putting numbers on the same skin. So it looks like they have three different things like a M4 assault rifle skin, a helmet and pants. And then they procedurally generate or put a number on them, which is a very, very tiny number on the top of the helmet. So in order for you to see it, it would be very much like a zoomed in thing, maybe only on like the round end screen would you ever be able to see the number. Um, but yes, every item is unique, but it's the same helmet. It doesn't look like they're actually procedurally generating colors or shape of the, the helmet. Um, so when Ubisoft Quartz launches on December 9th, um, yeah, three digits will be available, which is a M4 rifle, a helmet, and pants. And I think these... These digits so far will be provided for free only to the top engaged players of Ghost Recon. Um, so they can be claimed within a limited time window, drops occurring on the 9th, 12th, and 15th. Um, but it's unclear whether there's, say, like a limited number dropping or whether it's, you know, whether that's first come, first serve, like most NFTs, or as long as you qualify, you will absolutely be able to pick up a coffee. So infinite. Um, that hasn't really been specified on the website. Um, the later, of course, means uncontrolled devaluing of those assets, but the former would anger, anger fans. And roughly the engagement level that you need to be uh, looks like some of the achievements needed were between 100 hours and 600 hours of play within Ghost Recon Breakpoint. So we're really looking at the, the top end of players there. Um, as a digit is sold to no, new owners, the big thing is that their usernames are actually added to the metadata, creating a history of unique ownership for NFT. So. Uh, it's really unclear how easy it will be to look at that history, um, whether it's just on, say, crypto wallets and looking on online or whether it's actually something in game and whether this will really add value. But, you know, good for them for leveraging really what blockchain already has baked in. 
Um, also note that there's things like region and age locking. Um, obviously, them trying to kind of carve out where they actually have um, the legal um, capability to run this. Um, and they're heavily stressing environmental sustainability in their decks. Um, they're trying to fight off immediate pushback, I think, from environmentalists, I guess. Um, like the big number they have on their deck is that this is one million times more environmentally friendly than Bitcoin. Okay, sure. Anyways, uh, only available on Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which notably is not on Steam because Steam doesn't want anything to do with NFTs. Um, and generally, and also this is only for Ubisoft Connect PC client, which obviously means that there's a small percent playing Breakpoint, and then there's also a small percent playing on PC. Um, all done via a third-party app that connects Ubisoft's account with a crypto wallet. Um, so that's obviously them trying to kind of avoid regulation, that there's a crypto wallet and there's the account. Um, my take on this, I've got no issues. Um, I think, as I've said before, I'm actually a proponent of the CSGO-like model for NFTs and games. I think cosmetics are a great way to separate the volatility of NFTs into its own optional economy and then have a strong retaining PVP service that builds value in those cosmetics. It's a great way to mass market this way. I think it's better that Ubi is trying this than a whole different NFT-based game, right? I just think that the execution on that would be a lot higher risk. I think they can execute on this properly. But I think um, my issue now with this plan is just obviously this is just them dipping their toes. This is really not much more. Um, this is them just rewarding their top players, riding a wave of interest in NFTs. I really doubt this is optimal execution. The cosmetics they're offering are really not that unique. Um, there's no you know, color or something associated with it. Um, and the serial number ledger so far doesn't really seem like it's going to be all that visible. But hopefully this gets them some interest. They see good KPIs and they grow from here, right? Um, give more value to these cosmetics and make sure the uniqueness of them is more visible in game. Um, then I can see this growing. Um, but I think overall, I really don't have an issue with this approach. Eric? There's no evidence that you can actually resell any of this stuff, right? This is just... Well, you can, you, you get the thing for free. Then those people that have them can then sell them on crypto. And those people who buy them on crypto then can now take ownership of that. It's no longer that person's crypto wallet. It's in someone else's. So they then can use it in game. Yeah. Interesting. Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well, you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launched WebShop for mobile games. This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the App Store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees, and then regain control over distribution, Exola Web Shop for mobile games can help you succeed. Visit exola.pro slash D-O-F or go to the link in this podcast description. Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now, we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games. And I'm sure you got the people part covered how fantastic your tools truly are. Well, listen, if your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks, with visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep all your server code in C-sharp means life is simpler for your programmers, and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to Beamable.com, because Deconstructor of Fun told you so. 
Now let's take a little break from all these news and talk about consultants. You know, one of my biggest triggers in gaming is consultants. These big firms think they can manage game making with PowerPoints. They are literally the destroyers of studios. Don't get me wrong. It's not that these folks aren't smart. They're some of the smartest and highly educated people in the world. But they lack two key things, passion for games and industry experience. To put it simply, they lack context. One area that context is absolutely critical is consumer insights. As the name implies, you are trying to understand your customer and gain keen insights by asking the right questions. Without the right context, it's almost impossible to be successful. The big CI firms fall into the same trappings. Just because a firm has gamers on staff doesn't mean they know how to, what it takes to build and ship successful games. You need to work in the industry to really understand the challenges and agony that studio and marketers have to go through to bring a product to market. That's why I recommend Beta Hat. Stan Kwan and his team at Beta Hat have deep experience in the industry that provides the context needed for actionable insight. Stan's own experience includes 15 years within the gaming industry leading strategic functions at EA, GameSpot, and Ubisoft. Other research firms package up gaming and entertainment bucket or use like these old methods from packaged goods industries. Gaming is different. For game CI, you need to understand what people play, where people play, how they play, and why they play. You need to understand console, mobile, free-to-play, software as a service, subscription models. Whether it's consumer segmentation, brand tracking, concept testing, conjoint analysis, or focus testing, Stan and his team have the context to deliver exceptional insights into the gaming customer. Please reach out to Beta Hat by visiting their website at betahatmr.com. That's B-E-T-A-H-A-T-M-R.com. Now, back to the episode. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the, the hurdles are legally on this for them. Um, is this... Is this sort of like the light version of NFT? Like if you if you would do NFTs, and this is kind of like your absolutely you know, right. Like as a, as a major dip. publisher, this is like yeah, absolutely the the minimum viable because you can see this them trying to get through some of the compliance loopholes here of like, hey, we're giving this away for free, right? This is not a money making thing for us, and uh, people can resell it, but we're there's no randomization here, right? It's just we are offering these card packs. They are established serial numbers. People get them, and then what they do with them afterwards is no longer our issue. And and, and they, they're not taking any piece of this over time, right? Any type of. I, I'm not aware of it, but then again, the, the website is still pretty light. Well, you yeah. can you could code. I mean that that gets in, that gets programmed into the um, into the the contract, so you could just not do that. Um, but, but I think this is smart. Right. I mean, I think this is the right way to do it. Like this seems like the, the perfect for, like first entree into this space is again, just give it away, make it a fun engagement driver, uh, for the core, most core rapid segment of the audience. Um, and let, you know, let them say, oh, I, you know, I'm now I'm, I hold NFTs like, right. Like that's, that's the sort of the pathway to this kind of stuff. It's like you get, uh, you, you're given that you're given it as a, as a gift almost. And then you, you get excited about it, you research it and you, you learn about the, the kind of ecosystem and then, and then you become more of an active participant. I think it's really smart. Yeah. I mean, there's no coincidence. They're using ghost recon as the, <laughs> as the, the, the experiment child, right? Uh, because they really can't lose because this thing was a completely broken launch. Um, <laughs> And the game just did never, never, never did very well. It was very unwell received by the Ghost Recon fan base. Um, however, they continued to like uh, double down on experiments with Ghost Recon with a free to play version stuff that was not well received either. So we'll see if uh, they can bring people back. Um, I, 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 and I agree with you, Eric. I, I think this is an amazing initiative by Ubisoft, which is really struggling right now. Um, you know, showing the results of their quote unquote innovation lab that they have, um, gaining some traction. And actually the next article is about the VP of this innovation lab, who's Nicholas Poulard. I never can pronounce those names, but, um, uh, he's a VP of strategic, uh, strategic innovation lab at Ubisoft. Um, and he talks about how, uh, how they are approaching the blockchain space, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but, Obviously, the reason that this is like important because I'm actually doing a lot of work around this to try to figure out how these big studios can get get involved with NFTs, and um, so these type of experiments are going to be really interesting to see how they all turn out. Um, any other comments, or should I just continue? All right. Um, 
So the article is basically blockchain is only a game changer if players are stakeholders. And this was an article by Nicholas uh, from Ubisoft. Um, so he's basically supporting in the article, uh, 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 and he wrote this article, by the way, this was not by VentureBeat, evidently. So he's supporting like a sensible pro approach to integration of blockchain. You know, um, you know, it's, it's, it, he, again, he's spinning this basically saying, look, the, the technology itself has been like seriously hindered, you know, by controversy around it and the trust around it is basically what he's saying, which is true and not true in, in some ways. But, um, and so we saw, he said, they saw these debut of emerging products that, that relied upon these environmentally unsustainable forms of technology, marketing stunts, scams, and other speculative mechanics, right? So he says that in order to fight this and to build it and build more credible systems, he has three clear steps. One, establish, indus establish industry actors, you know, bigger companies need to build safe technology for the consumer, right? Two, the environmental concerns need to be met. You know, energy consumption must be measured. You know, you know, using Bitcoin and Ethereum is, uses way too much energy. And these type of things are used as much energy as Argentina does in a year or something, some statistic he put out there. Um, and they also once the third thing was to give more players more control over the game, whether it's, you know, how they're built, you know, what they're what they own. Um, it should be treated like any other like real world ownership of an item. Um so he goes on, he says, we see the play to earn and ultimately create to earn model as a way to establish play players as stakeholders in their experiences. You know, this is basically in line with their core belief that um, that players should get a return on their investment in terms of time and effort. Um, and so this this type of a system would basically open the door for a true metaverse, uh, you know, beyond the single company and, and a, a broader audience. So lots of buzzwords, lots of stuff like going on about this. So my take. <laughs> so I, I think this is primarily a puff piece, but clearly he's putting his money where his mouth is, right? He's actually doing the investments and actually making games that take advantage of NFT. And seriously, that's far more than Mr. Matt Wolf is doing at Zynga, right? So far, like he's been in the business, he's been in a position for 30 days. We have not heard Boo from this guy, right? So now this other guy is like totally, totally uh, trumping him in terms of his expertise and his knowledge of NFTs. So I'm keeping an eye on you, Mr. Wolf. I'm waiting for some press release that you know what you're talking about, that you know what's going on, Mr. Coca-Cola. All right. Anyway, I, I, I think this, you know, article takes away a few things, right? I think the key takeaways is that, you know, Having players take more control over the economy is really the innovative concept here. Um, and that could be I, the key to success over the, these blockchain games over the long term. Uh, but it's also likely the biggest challenge because the more agency you give a player, the less control that you have over your own game, which I think is, is just a paradox that needs to be figured out and solved, right? Um, also... Uh, that, you know, the notion that you're investing your time and energy into a game, you should be paid for it or compensated for it, I think is also a key consideration for design, but also a, a legal hurdle for any type of mass market game. Or, you know, with these big publishers in particular, they're just going to have targets on their back for anything that they do in this space. Um, so, but I do think just fundamentally, it is a hard sell for these big companies to participate, you know, both the legal environmental concerns, all those type of things. I don't think Dapper Labs and other, you know, startups in the space are really concerning themselves about environmental impact or legal for that matter, right? So this puts these big companies at a severe disadvantage in terms of on the innovation side. So I still fundamentally believe that most of the innovation and most of the scale is going to happen with startups as we figure this all out. But uh, but we shall see. Um, let, and the notion... <laughs> Sorry. And the notion that like established industry players are really going to build the safe technology for consumers. That's kind of a ridiculous statement in my view. I mean, maybe. Right. But that, again, I, I think it's aspirational, maybe a bit delusional. But um, I think the rules, again, are going to be set by innovators, not the established players. But but maybe I'm wrong on that. Right. But uh, but overall, I thought like this UB, this Ubisoft is the NFT czar. Right. He's taken over Matt Wolf's position as the NFT czar. So he's he is the bar by which NFT czars for these big publishers are going to be judged. 
So where's the uh, juice? Good where's the him. juice? And, uh, to, to paraphrase Eric, where's the yeah. juice? Where's the juice? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but now, now I just now I remember it since you started clowning Matt Wolf again. I was just like that. That's that's one thing that people mentioned so many times. Like now he's going after this Matt Wolf from Zing. <laughs> <laughs> no. But- that's like a fan favorite segment is like, when are you going to mention Matt Wolf? And by the way, Matt Wolf is might be the greatest executive we've ever known. Uh, so this is, again, only Eric Cress's opinion. He definitely has the look, man. A 20, 20 sub 20 BMI, yeah. dude. He's in. I love it. All right. Let's go. Right. You see for super, my, super. knowledge. My article today, I've given up. I've given up on that. Who cares? It's, call me Eric S. Uh, my article... Um, <laughs> The, the headline is Apple legal filing indicates it intends to collect commission regardless of whether developers use IAP or a competing payments platform. Well, that's a mouthful. Um, that's from 9to5Mac. And um, basically the gist of this is that Ep, uh, Apple filed um, a legal brief. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. But so a- Apple is, is very sort of aggressively trying to stay this injunction, right? So if you're just kind of giving a little bit of context for those that uh, haven't followed this or kind of forgotten the details. So the the, the Epic v. Apple case, uh, you know, mostly ruled uh, kind of in favor of Apple, um, except, and they, you know, Epic was forced to pay something like $3 million fine uh, to, 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 to kind of compensate Apple for the IAPs that were generated from its system that it, uh, it, it, it kind of, uh, uh, inserted into Fortnite, um, in violation of the, the app store rules. Uh, but, but there was, um, one, uh, the judge did rule against Apple on one point and she basically issued an injunction that said Apple had to start allowing developers to link to, and it was, the, the wording was, was a little bit ambiguous, but essentially to link out to web-based payments platforms, by December 9th, right? So we're recording this on December 8th, December 9th tomorrow. So so this the the judge issued this injunction and Apple has been very aggressively trying to get a stay uh, on that injunction. So basically getting Apple has been very aggressively trying uh has been appealing to 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 have this injunction basically delayed. Um and, and its argument has been that there's going to be a lot of engineering that has to be uh dedicated to this because they have to sort of um, build the systems to accommodate this, to accommodate these off-platform purchases. Well, you might ask yourself, why Why would they need that? Why would they need any engineering, right? All the engineering would be on the developer side. <laughs> they build the website, and then they they build the fulfillment process. Well, we've we've learned why. So, so Apple um, filed this legal brief, and I'm just going to quote from it. <clears throat> it's kind of a long quote. So basically, and this was, this, this, this was filed earlier in the week, uh, or last week, sorry. And they said... Uh, Finally, Epic suggests that Apple will not receive a commission on transactions that happen outside the app on which Apple has never charged commission. Uh, That is not correct. Apple has not previously charged a commission on purchases of digital content via buttons and links. And that was the that was the wording that the judge used about what Apple had to allow uh, starting on December 9th. Um, and I'm going back to quoting, because such purchases have not been permitted, right? So Apple is saying, well, we never charged a commission before because we never allowed that to happen before, right? So going back to quoting, if the injunction were to go into effect, Apple could charge a commission on purchases made through such mechanisms. Apple would have to create a system and process for doing so. But because Apple could not recoup those expenditures of time and resources from Epic, even after prevailing on appeal, the injunction would impose irreparable injury. So what Apple is saying is like, look, we've got to build these systems to allow for the fulfillment of web-based purchases. Of course, we're going to do that. We can't do it all by December 9th. And because we wouldn't be able to recoup that money from Epic, right, which 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 essentially lost the the case, um, then you know it's going to cause us if this injunction goes forward, it's going to cause us a lot of pain, right? We wouldn't be able to recoup the expenditures of time and resources from Epic, so it would cause us sort of monetary damage, right? So, okay, a couple of things to unpack there. First of all, we don't know what's going to happen. Again, we're recording this on December eighth. December 9th is when the injunction is supposed to go into effect. Um, so we, it might it might be stayed today. Right. Um, but then, you know, we'd go back into just a couple more weeks of uncertainty and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a very prolonged uh, uh, period of time because uh, Apple has basically is appealing for a, a 30 day stay. Right. So we would kind of learn more about this in 30 days. I have no clue what this system would look like. How on earth could Apple charge a commission on web based purchases unless 
what they would force developers to do is to use some kind of API, right? So you'd still be kind of trapped in Apple's payment system. It's just that you're not using the IAP system in iOS. You're using your own web-based system, but you'd have to you'd have to flow all those, you'd have to uh, filter all those purchases through this API that Apple rolls out where Apple would be able to sort of uh, observe the purchases and then, you know, tally up the commission and then send that to you as a bill, I guess, uh, at the end of the month or maybe subtract that from IAP revenues. Um, but in any case, you, you'd have to have some kind of API or, or, or a framework that that captured these purchases, and that, that's what Apple's saying. We have to develop that. You, they're not going to just allow you to go and sell stuff on the web. All the accounting and, and all 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 of the, all of the sort of fulfillment would have to go flow through some kind of service that Apple needs to spin up, right? And so that's what they're saying. So so I just want to point out that well, Google has said the same thing. Google said in the South Korea case, right? You might remember back from like six months ago or so. South Korea ruled that that Google has to let these these platforms have to allow this. And so what Google announced was, okay, well, we will let you do this. We will let you link out in South Korea, right? Only in South Korea, not worldwide. We will let you link out to sort of external payments processors. But if you all the, all the revenue that you generate from those, um, we still need to account for. And we're going to charge you an 11% commission on that versus the 15 or 30%. So my sense is Apple probably matches that. They go to 11%. Um, and then, you know, and, and, and they say, okay, well, if, if we see that you've, you know, and, and in the app review process, if we see that you link out to some external payment system, then we're going to demand that you use the API for, uh, processing those payments and fulfilling the purchases. And if you don't, we'll block your app from the app store. Right. Um, so that's my, that's my guess of, of how they're going to approach this. And I want to give kudos here to David Bernard. So David Bernard predicted this would happen uh, from the very beginning, from the moment the, 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 the verdict came down in the trial. Uh, David is, is a friend of mine. He lives uh, nearby. He'll be at the Mobile Dev Memo Happy Hour if you want to talk to him in person. Uh, David can be found on Twitter as at drbarnard. And he's definitely worth following as he's probably the best source of insight that exists into App Store policy decisions. But would love to hear everyone else's thoughts. So, yeah. All right. My, quickly, though, like this is basically kind of what we were saying before, right? Like regardless of the ability for publishers to do transactions off the App Store, Apple is still yeah. going to get their pound of flesh, right? I remember saying this many times, right? So it's like this makes sense, right? But is it 30 percent right. or is it 11 or is it 15? Who knows, right? But I mean, this makes sense. But this is clearly Apple's benevolence at work, right? So they're just trying, <laughs> they're trying to just get their pound of flesh, right? Regardless of of whether or not they're actually doing anything yeah. to help the app at all, right? Um, so, yeah, I think this. I mean, this is this is, makes sense. We'll see if this injunction happens because without this, right, then they wouldn't get anything, right? In theory, um, if they could just do transactions outside the store, they wouldn't have any access or understanding of what was being transacted, and they wouldn't get any percentage. Um, so. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I every time I read these type of things, I know that I could yeah. never be a lawyer, right? I just, I just can't, <laughs> I can't <laughs> manipulate words and 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 figure out all the angles the way these guys can. I, I think I'm I'm very in awe of some of these people. But anyway, that's a side note. Adam, any any no, thoughts here? I'm just following this. What what's going to be the take in the end? Like like if it's not thirty percent, then. Like how much are developers like sort of a 11 paying right? the tax well, if, follow, what, charging that, if they follow Google, it'll be 11. I mean, Is honestly, that, like I don't – so you you if you look at the App Store guidelines, it has become just this rat's nest of like ham-fisted edits and like updates and and changes over time to adapt to this ecosystem that looks totally different than – you know, what what existed at the launch of the App Store. And my sense is they just should, they should, they do a, a page one rewrite, right? Like, like all this, like the reader app rule and then trying to force all these payments if they go that direction with like web-based API to do accounting and, and fulfillment, like that just doesn't make any sense. Like try to get some sort of like flat 10%. Like there's, I just like, I, I mean, I, one thing I always think back to is like, Maybe you remember this meeting like when we were working at Digital Chocolate. Like Digital Chocolate had like a pretty big um, uh, J2ME uh, portfolio, and I remember they were someone told me one time that like uh, you know because they were working with like Nokia's and the whatever uh, Motorola's, and they were doing like pre-install basically, and and those companies took like you know they would just get like you know some some 
uh, developer fee, right, to get those games on those phones. Uh, and then, or in some cases, there was like a revenue share, but it was like set, the, 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 the OEM took like 70% or 80%. And when the, when the app store was announced, like people were like excited, like, wow, only 30%. That's revolutionary. That's amazing. Well, yeah, the times have changed, the times changed between, you know, the, the J2ME period and, and, you know, sort of the open app store idea or the app store idea. Well, now they've changed again, right? And, and, and that needs to be adjusted down. It doesn't make sense. You're not providing that much value, right? Uh, especially when we're moving into this kind of cross-platform environment, like just do a page one rewrite. Just go go back to basics, rewrite the whole thing, and rethink the economics of this. Instead of creating this Frankenstein's monster of like really strange uh, and sometimes contradictory guidelines that are very difficult to enforce. But when they're trying to figure out this and, line, sorry, though, right? Like, I don't want to go. You've got still people using web. Um, web links out towards payment services like you buy a subway ticket on your phone you use the subway's website to process the payment right you also have games that then could link out do you then do a 10 percent flat fee or do you still end up with this frankenstein page one because you have to kind of define which apps can link for free and which apps can link for 10 percent well, but that's that why I mean, again, why treat all these apps as separate classes, right? Like, that's the whole thing. It's, you know, the reader apps get an exclusion on certain points, and Netflix and Spotify have just sort of like settled into this implicit agreement. Um, it just, I, I don't see the reason, and games get treated as the cash cow because they are, right? And all these other, all these other companies effectively get. Um, you know, exclusions or or uh, they they get let off the hook. So I I don't know. It just feels like the way that they're enforcing this, they're trying to like build on top of this unsturdy foundation. I, I think it makes more sense to just go back to basics. Right. So and so like this is what my really frustrating. So I, I don't want to bring up Schmidt again, but I'm doing it. Right. If you actually listen to this podcast, like that he did, you can see all the spin that they're going through about trying to, you know overinflate the value of the store itself. Like this is some bastion of, of organic you know, growth for your company. It's not, it's a terrible store, right? And the only reason that there is traffic to the store is because everyone's doing UA to get traffic to the store, right? It's not like people are like discovering yeah. shit on the store. I'd love to see the stats of what actually is discovery versus UA on the store, right? But this is like the delusional mind that they have is that they're, value, they're providing so much value for both yeah. publishers and the consumer, which they are not. Right. And so you're right. They have to rethink this whole thing and say, hey, look, you know, we are distri distribution mechanism that's being pushed by UA and other mechanics. We have some featuring that doesn't matter anymore. And, and, and our search algorithm is probably the best thing that we got. Right. So that's that's certainly valuable. But everything else is a joke. Right. So move on. And, and then when when Mishka started talking about how Google was innovating and doing a better job of the store, he gets defensive. It's like, what planet are you living on? Sorry, now I'm going again. It's like, yeah, Google's doing better, right? <laughs> Sorry, you know? Anyway, um, I, I yeah, I think they reimagining it, reducing the fee, and and really like trying to understand, articulate the value of their what they are providing, which they are value providing a value, right? They are providing an amazing platform of which I own a gajillion devices. But uh, but anything above that is is just nonsensical right now. Um and, yeah, I mean, I think the, the other point, of, like, just to, to 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 dovetail with what you're saying, Eric, is like, yeah, I, I'd imagine, and and you know, having worked with and, and continuing to work with a, a number of large, you know, developers, like the, the vast majority of the, the 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 new users that are onboarded come from UA, like the the almost almost in, in some cases like the totality, right? Um, but even when there are even 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 when there is sort of like um, a kind of of trickle of of organic, it's taxed. The organics are taxed because you've got to protect your keywords with apps, app store, Apple search ads. So you don't even just give me the organics. You make right. me pay for them essentially with this tax right. of having to keep my name at the top of the, the SERP uh, results when someone searches for my app's name. Right. Like, and that's, that's, so like, how, how, even if you try to make the organic argument, you're still charging me for that. Nothing is organic. That's a really good point. The, uh, the one, the one example of this, and I may have said this already, is that PUBG New State launched with Crafton, right? And if you actually search PUBG New State, the first two or three things are the original PUBG from Tencent. So they completely bombed them on the search on Apple. It's like, 
Yeah, is that was that is that working as intended? Man, Tencent. <laughs> like, I mean, Imagine if Tencent not only did that, but yeah. just started right. launching more PUBG <laughs> New State, like just a bunch of games named PUBG New State, right? With like oh, it, the, the same icon, but just yeah. like, back to yeah. hey, maybe you should just play the regular one. Love it. <laughs> I love it. You know, Crafton thinks that they could go after go against Tencent. Good fucking luck, you know. Um, but by the way, I've been playing New State since you've been, you know wailing on it it's no, actually a good game it's way better than the uh the original i'm one. not suggesting it isn't i'm suggesting that they just can't compete right and 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 and, and, I know, and the numbers I know. A- are horrific horrific like it's it is i mean it's supposed to do a billion dollars it's gonna it's, do like a hundred million at most here's here here's the challenge because garena free fire launched garena free fire max and that is doing it's actually not, pretty good yeah so it's the same play it's just, except yeah, it's it's the same play. Arena Free Fire Max is just like. But look at this! I, I searched for PUBG New State, oh, and one. this Netties game was at the top. So it's, it's like, come no on, <laughs> what what yeah. organics? What they're organics? Just, I've got to pay on them. to get my to capture my organic search. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it's it's like brand value is uh, is uh, yeah. You have to pay on top of the brand value. Uh, all right, last article. This one is um, from actually Joe Kim. So he did a great YouTube video uh, and, and a newsletter on the Game Makers. So if you don't subscribe to Game Makers, please do that. YouTube, as well as the newsletter. Uh, it was called How to Be a Great Games Company CEO. And he had Gigi Levy Weiss, who is the um, founder of NFX um, and has been a CEO, a bunch of, you know, basically the uh, the head guy in Israel uh, with, with all the big gaming company coming, you know, under his fund. And then he had uh, Christian Stegestrel, founder of essentially Glue, Playfish, and now working at um, at uh, oh, Initial Capital and now working at Super Evil Megacorp. And Brian Peganoff, that that is, you know, he was from Glue, but he was kind of overshadowed by these two <laughs> giants on on the uh, on Joe Kim's podcast. Uh, but I found this one to be very interesting, but very niche at the same time. They were talking about the uh, the job of a CEO, and of course, it's a very ambiguous job. It's very lonely, has the highest of highs and lowest of lows. And in this episode, they kind of went through a couple of things. I'm going to just do a summary. So they talk about like where do CEOs spend their time, and according to these. Uh, these, these guys with uh, with Gigi and, and Christian, they were saying like 50% of the time should go to talking to people, both in- internal as well as external in terms of uh, hiring people. Uh, and then the other 50% of the time, essentially just admin stuff and making sure you're not running out of money. Uh, interesting points that the race is like you have to be both managerial leader as well as a people leader. So instead of like on the managerial side, making sure you have the strategy, then you have the people to execute on the strategy, you're measuring, and then you're constantly going back and verifying that you're doing the right things at the right time and and um, or pivoting from there. And on the leader side, is essentially, you know, bringing in the people, having the vision, and running the culture. Um, and um, what I found kind of interesting, Joe likes to do this, is like, he brings like, like, you know, an example of a great CEO, like he was like, hey, the greatest CEO is Elon Musk, which is very arguable. Like the the, uh, I know it's extremely arguable that that's the uh, the best CEO out of them all. Dude, he wait, uh, hold on, hold also on. Joseph Kim has the biggest hard on <laughs> for Elon Musk. It's like unbelievable, right? It makes it makes no sense. It makes no sense. So so he's like a, it's it's really problematic example yeah. because he's such a fucking unicorn. It's same thing as saying like Steve Jobs. They're like extremely unique, and they have achieved enormous success but i've seen like steve jobs is a good example because like back in like 10 years ago a lot of ceos were following that sort of steve jobs example meaning that you can randomize anybody and you can be a total fucking asshole because you're making the best of the product guess what i don't think that works with anybody else except steve jobs everybody else is just an asshole so 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 now i think that elon musk is maybe the next version i hope not uh but but it's a it's it's really complicated when you take this, this sort of a very unique person who has a massive success and kind of don't look at anybody else who's trying to follow with the same route because everybody else is, is essentially who tries to replicate is is having you know failures um they also 
you know, there's a lot of oversimplifications, in my opinion, in this uh, this podcast. There's a lot of depth. I, I think it's a phenomenal and, and definitely encourage everybody to listen. Uh, but, um, you know, they, they were talking about Ilka, the uh, CEO of Supercell. Like, he's a clearly design-driven person and would not be able to lead a company like Platika was a statement that was made. And I think that's a little bit of an oversimplification. First of all, he's not a designer, never probably done a game and, and definitely not that of a person. He's a culture-driven leader where he sets up a certain type of a culture and then the people execute on whatever they do. Like he drives through through the uh, through the culture, and not not like in order to run Playtika, you need to be some kind of a data nerd, and in order to run Supercell, you need to be some kind of a, like a chief design officer. Like no, uh, it's a it's a it's it's not really that. Um, and on overall, as they were talking about, like Joe was asking, like give me an give me like an example of a great CEO. All of the CEOs they mentioned was like people who had great financial results at some point. Which is definitely true, but we've been in games industry long enough that we know that luck plays also a very big, you know, role that the company is successful. Uh, you know, there might be like, for example, during the, before the COVID time, there might have been very great companies with great CEOs that just got demolished. Maybe they were working, you know, making making clothes or I don't know something that they just, you know, the whole industry got destroyed. That doesn't mean that the CEO sucked. There was there was a there was a big you know shift in the market. So. What I'm trying to say is like, yes, those CEOs that they mentioned are great, but I think there's many unsung heroes in the games industry as well, like CEOs, uh, as well as leads who people loved working with or under, uh, but, you know, for a reason, this or that, the uh, the company didn't find the success. And it's kind of like oversimplification to say that because this company is successful, the CEO must be great. Like you could have said the same thing about Kixai. You know, at one point they were really successful. You would say like, well, it must be because they have such a great CEO. And then you go five years later, it's like, well, they're unsuccessful because of their CEO. It's like, make your point. Anyway, uh, and overall, like I felt like there's a, there's this Americanized version of kind of lumping CEOs into different slots of like you're a product CEO, you're a pro- capital allocator CEO, you're a VC CEO. I think it's oversimplification because companies go through different stages. And if you're a good CEO, which actually was mentioned in, in this podcast, like you're something that you're a person who likes to learn and who kind of lives through the different phases of the company. Zuckerberg, just as an example of like, you know, all the phases that, that, that Facebook or Meta has gone through. He's evolved and become a different type of a leader. Um, and that kind of speaks of like, you know, a CEO is somebody, a good CEO is somebody who's constantly learning, constantly evolving as the company is evolving. Anyways, uh, required qualities. They were talking about, you know, having the killer instincts or going after it, having clear communication, you know, all the basic stuff, you know, financial strategy. Uh, one thing that they raised that was, I think, very important point is being vulnerable and asking for help for constantly showing the persona of killing it. So, uh, I, you know, that's that's not only for CEOs. I think that's very important to to be vulnerable and to ask for help. Anyway, kind of like I have to. I, I know I have to do some kind of summary. So I, I can't. You know, I, I agree with with the uh, with Gigi and and Christian. They were both phenomenal CEOs and phenomenal investors and uh, just you know phenomenal people. They should have actually their own podcast because they the, they vibe always so well together. Um, I I kind of you know. I, have a very limited experience of being a CEO, but I've read a lot of books. So let me just take some some of them from the smart people who have been written. Uh, I think the kind of a four pieces of, of being a CEO that that I tend to follow is from Patrick Lencioni. Uh, one, like the first one is building and maintaining a cohesive leadership team. So that means, you know, having considerable interpersonal uh, commitment from an, an executive and a team and its leader. So basically you are, you're, you're, Leads team is your team and you should be leading through them. You should building the trust because when you have trust, there's, there will be absence of politics. There won't be that much anxiety. There won't be that wasted energy of infighting. And the nature of your meetings is usually the way you see if the team is working well, because if the team is working well, if there is trust, the meetings will be passionate, they will be intense, they will be exhausting and they will never be boring. So that means you're having a good, back and forth with your leadership team. The second element is having organizational clarity. That means explaining to internally and externally, why do we exist? That means missions, which is your goals, metrics to keep score of progress. All these basic elements are super important. Number three is over communicating. So that means repeating that simple message through multiple mediums to an exhaustion. Here's where we are, here's what we do, here's where we are, here's what we do, and then tracking that progress. And finally, Reinforcing everything through human systems. So that means hiring according to your goal, your strategy, uh, your values, having performance management, having the rewards and recognition systems, as well as 
dismissal of um, people that are not fitting with where you're going or how you want to function. So that's just a, a, another take. In addition to the beautiful takes that were provided in this YouTube video, I definitely suggest everybody to check it out. It will be in the description, the link below. Uh, very niche subject. I know not many people are interested in the lives of CEOs, uh, but I think it's notable miss on this you guys list check it out? was BMI. I'm not sure where that, does that still fall on that checklist? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the most important the metric of all, right? Jesus. Yes. What kind of analysis is this? I think Joe's, I think Joe is on the low end of the BMI. Can you go under? Like, what is, is the sweet spot 20 to 25? And Joe is no, like no, an no. 18. So he needs to bump no, up a little bit. Joe is skinny fat, dude. He's totally skinny oh. fat, you know? Yeah. He's like, he's so, he's so soft, right? Like, it doesn't, I, I don't want that BMI if I have to look like that. Though. I'm just kidding, Joe. But I, I think he's lower than 20. All right. All right, I'm out. I'm out. Uh, I'm out. <laughs> all right all right so anybody who was offended please do remember that we appreciate you guys and we love you guys and these are just jokes and eric is a people Eric's champ opinion is so his own opinion he's say what he's opinion say, is his own opinion full-heartedly exactly exactly <laughs> we don't we don't condole his opinions uh we just we laugh with you guys so the, pro <laughs> not, the not fundamental problem you. is the feedback is spurring me on right it's not yeah all so right. yeah Keep it coming. Yeah. <laughs> so if you see Eric at GDC or any event, be careful with your feedback because Shit. you're going to get what, Schmidt's what you Schmidt's going to punch me in the mouth, dude, when he sees me. That's what's going to happen. I I think, yeah, I think I think in a face-to-face in a, in a -face -face event, you, there's going to be like a mix of people who want to punch Eric and who wants to buy him a drink. So I think you're going you're gonna to right. get both. All right, guys. Have a good, have yep. a good rest of the week. All right. Peace out. All right. Bye-bye, everybody.